Welcome to episode 5 of the Board Game Workshop. I'm your host, Chris Anderson. Recently got back from the Granite Game Summit in Nashville, New Hampshire, and I had a chance to talk to the guys from Flip the Table about what not to do in board game design. But before we get to that, if you're listening to this the day it comes out, you have a couple of days left to get your submission into the Boston Festival of Indie Games. You can check out bostonfig.com for more information about that. The Button Shy Wallet Game Contest still has a little bit of time to get submissions in. They're due April 23rd. You can go to buttonshygames.com to find out about that. And the Game Crafter still has two open contests. The Big Box Challenge submissions are due June 5th. And the Game Hole Dungeon Crawler Challenge submissions are due August 14th. You can check out the gamecrafter.com slash contests to find out more about those. That's all I have for news. Let's get on to the interview. So, I am here with three members of Flip the Table. Your moderator, Chris. Hello. Flip Laurie and hey. Professor Laserbooks. Hi. They have joined me today, taking some time out of their busy schedule at Granite Game Summit to talk about what not to do in board game design. So, you guys have played possibly the worst games ever made. Yeah, You've learned probably, some more like, yeah. <laughs> uh, we just watched the, your show live about the Harlem Globetrotters. Yeah. And it was fun. <laughs> well, it's fun in air quotes here. So, what are, what are a couple of the big things that people should avoid in designing a game? Like, really terrible. Well, one thing that we run into a lot is something we call nothing turns on the show, where uh, your turn comes around and basically nothing happens. There's no forward or backward progress in a game. A simple example of that is if you land on a space that says, lose a turn. Um, but then there are effective nothing turns where mechanisms fire and things happen, but there's really no actual impact to the game. Um, and a lot of the worst games that we've played have drug on for a long time because it had a high percentage of those nothing turns. Yeah, I mean, that's arguably worse than, like, the lose-a-turn kind of thing, where there's a lot of the worst games we've played um, where you... It's like this big Rube Goldberg machine where a bunch of mechanics fire, a lot of things happen on the back end in the mechanics, but what comes out the front end is nothing. Like, there's no no actual effect on the end game, and that's frustrating, because oftentimes it may take minutes to resolve the turn. and then... It's actually busier than losing a turn. Yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> All right, you guys talk a lot about component quality, which some people say is not important to a game. It's only the mechanics that matter. Mm. But at a certain point, you want to throw the thing out a window. Yeah. So what yeah. are... What's the bare minimum? Like, what level are you like, this is okay? Um, component quality is is important, actually. There's games that I've played that I just, I will not play again because the artwork is just so glaringly bad or the cards are so thin and just terrible um, that, I mean, it sounds uh, shallow or selfish in a way, but, yeah, component quality is important. I mean, everybody gets excited when they pick up a box and it's heavy. You know, it could have a thousand wooden bits, and those wooden bits could do nothing. But um, I know it's, it's, it's almost like a primal thing. But uh, yeah, component quality can be important. It can make or break a game, in my eyes. Yeah. To me, it has in in terms of design, it has a lot to do with um, the intuitiveness of the game. Um, if the component quality is good, it doesn't just have to be like made of good quality stuff. But it should be designed in such a way that hints at the mechanics or what is this and how is it used, how does it interlock with the mechanics. It should be, it should help 
the components should help in understanding how the game's played and playing the game. And that's that's kind of the best case scenario, but at a worst case scenario, I'd say, or minimum, uh, I agree with Flip. I mean, it's got to, they at least have to be uh, durable. They have to be pleasing to the eye. And that kind of reminds me, too, of like, because I'm colorblind, colorblind icons or icons that, that don't take over the artwork, but are are keys for colorblind people to do or recognize things at a glance. That's huge. I mean, a lot of more designers are actually doing more of that, which is great. Yeah, yeah definitely durability is a key factor. If you're designing a game that you presumably want people to play multiple times, then you need to build that game and publish that game in a way that facilitates that. So if your cards are folding the first time you shuffle them, uh, or if uh, stuff can't resist a small amount of moisture from your fingers or whatever. I mean, this is stuff that sends a message that you don't believe in the game that you designed. Uh, you, that almost you didn't intend it for it to be played multiple times. Um, so that's why component quality is really key, because it shows a level of confidence in the design that you've published. Let's uh, move over to theme. You guys play a lot of games that have <laughs> themes maybe slapped on, maybe <laughs> just attached later. How important is theme to a game? Would you rather an abstract that's a great game or okay mechanics, but I love the story? I'll say this. There are games that I really, really like in spite of um, a lack of theme or a sort of mismatch theme because the mechanisms are so interesting and they're fun. Um, however... One thing to understand is that if that is mismatched, it can do a couple of things. Number one, it can cause some players to avoid your game uh, unnecessarily. You know, they may miss out on a great opportunity to play these awesome mechanisms. Um, or it may actually distract from the mechanisms that you've built. If a theme is mismatched, then it makes the game less intuitive. Battlestar Galactica is a great example of a good match of theme and mechanism because the mechanisms tell the story of the narrative and it makes this incredibly complex game tie together in a way that makes sense when you explain it. It's almost like when you teach someone to tie their shoe and you do like the little bunny bunny loop loop story or whatever you want to call it. It's, it's matching a theme to a mechanism, right? It, it makes it make sense because narratives are easier to understand than lists of numbers and mechanisms. Yeah, and we play games with theme like on every part of that spectrum as far as dripping with theme and little mechanics or great mechanics and no theme at all. But um, I think the best part when theme comes into play is that when you have a clever mechanic that kind of sneaks up on you and you realize that it matches the theme or one element of that theme that it just you know, makes it a home run. Uh, uh, maybe a counterpoint to what moderator Chris was just saying. Um, I like theme in games, and I think theme, as much as the component qualities, can help you understand the mechanics, but some of my favorite games are themeless. They're abstracts. Um, I didn't have a lot of room to bring games to the Granite Game Summit, uh, mainly because we had, like, 50 bad board games to give away <laughs> in our trunk. Um, I brought three games. Um, I brought Seven Wonders Duel, I brought Goblet, and I brought uh, Favor of the Pharaoh. Goblet's a good example of an abstract game that fits what I was talking about a few minutes ago about the components being intuitive to the gameplay. Like you can, I mean, Goblet's fairly well known to gamers. It's, it's been out for a while. It's it's you know award winning, but the components match the mechanics. But there's no theme whatsoever. But it's such a light game. I don't know if it needs it. I don't know if it would benefit from it. Um, 
I, it's one of my favorite games. You know, like I said, I could fit three games in my bag, and I picked that one uh, among them. So, um, I I think there is a certain amount of game uh, that needs a theme. Anything less than that, maybe it doesn't. And Jared is now joining us, so we have the full crew here. <laughs> so let's move into the second part and flip the table, as they say. What do you guys like in games? What is good? You play a lot of crap, but you're also gamers. <laughs> and sometimes you have fun, I assume. Yeah. So. Um, the uh, I know for me, I really love dexterity in games. I mean, I've, I'm just showing them off here. I just bought uh, Talk Talk Woodman. Uh, and uh, I also, at this convention, bought uh, Giant Jenga. Uh, which I can't weighs, wait to play that. Which weighs about 18 pounds because it's made out of like actual two by fours. <laughs> um, so, but I mean, I've always loved dexterity games, and even like the terrible games that we played on the show. If they had a dexterity element to them, like the Ninja Turtles game or the Guinness Book of World Records with Jared Ball in it, uh, you know that they almost get a pass. Just like, oh, there's, at least I can ha- show off my athletic prowess in those games. <laughs> <laughs> Follow that one up. <laughs> um, I like games that build tension. And whether it's very short or very long, I like games that kind of lead to that sort of make-or-break stand-up-from-the-table moment. Um, and, and, you know, sometimes like in a game like BSG, like we just talked about earlier, this three-hour game, because of the decisions you make, comes down to like one critical die roll, and everybody leans in, and that's the moment that decides everything. So that can be really fun. Or even if you just kind of create it yourself, such as in a push-or-luck game, when you decide to shoot the moon and do something that shouldn't work, and then once in a while it does, and that's the kind of thing I really like, too. So anything that builds a little bit of tension uh, is something that I really enjoy. And um, my favorite game of all time is Blood Bowl. And the reason I love that game is because it has a, a history to it. And what I mean by history is that your team is a living, breathing thing. It changes, people die, get injuries, get powers, things like that. Um, so you have like this ongoing story with your team or teams and your leagues. Um, and that kind of pairs well with like legacy games like Seafall and, and Risk Legacy and, and things of that ilk. Um, I like games that actually have like a history embedded inside of it. Um, that just is really cool to me, and it also has those stand-up die roll moments. It's, it, I mean, it, it's, it really is a dice chucker at its heart. But every, every, every game of that ends up in a stand-up dice roll, so or die roll. Uh, yeah, Blood Bowl is my, my absolute favorite. But anything that has a legacy system, I'm pretty much down with as well. I, uh, I like. Um... I like pushing my luck. Um, a lot of people hate that, and I totally understand that, but I, I like push-your-luck type games. Um, I tried about a year ago, I tried um, Dead Man's Draw. Um, great little compact game, plays in 10 or 15 minutes, and that's basically just push-your-luck, the card game. Um, it's hard for that to go wrong with me because it's always about decision-making and to kind of bring a conversation around to what not to do what we started talking about was what doesn't work to me like a game will fall flat if there's not enough decisions to make and a game will succeed if there are meaningful decisions to make you know a game can overdo it and give you analysis paralysis but um, usually I would 
edge more toward more decisions than less and risk-taking decisions specifically. Cool. We're almost out of time here. So is there anything you guys have coming up you want to promote or talk about? or? You're on your farewell tour now, so that's we're, right. We're all Flip sad the to table see you go. is uh, is wrapping up very soon. We will be up to about 112 episodes or 111. I, I lose count sometimes, uh, but we will be airing our last episode in July. We've got some really special stuff lined up, including the live show from here at Granite Game Summit, which will be ending, airing at the end of April sometime. Uh, so we've got that going on. You can also visit us on our social media, uh, which we're going to keep open beyond the life of the show. So on our Facebook group, on Twitter, at TableFlipsU. You can visit TableFlipsU.com to find all those links. And uh, we are going to be selling some of the games from our vault to benefit Extra Life and Children's Miracle Network. You'll be able to find out about those uh, auctions on our social media. So you join us on Facebook, join us on Twitter, join us on BGG, yeah. and we'll get the word out. Yeah, the, the moderator's Twitter handle is a good place to find that, Facebook. Um, I run the, the eBay auctions for that. My Twitter handle is uh, Prof Laserbooks. Um, and we raised a ton of money on that last year. And Jared's kind of the, the leader of that thing. We raised, how much money did we raise last year? Um, what are we trying to beat this year? 10,000. Uh, over 10,000 locally. We, our team, uh, I think, across the country did 15,000 15, or so. So that's, that's like the overall goal. Uh, so two goals we're trying to hit this year, so it should be, should be a lot of fun. Absolutely. And like Chris mentioned, after the podcast winds down, we're all still going to be really involved with the gaming community. And we're going to, you know, it's just, it's in our bones. We're going to be out there. We're going to be doing stuff. And, and uh, Flip the Table definitely is going to continue on. The cheese lives on. <laughs> it's because we left it out too long, exactly. and now it's become sentient, and it's walking away. That's not too far from the truth. No, no. no awesome. Thank you for joining me, guys, and enjoy the rest of the convention. Thank Thanks you so much. Thank you. That does it for this episode of the Board Game Workshop. If you want to find the show notes, you can go to theboardgameworkshop.com. If you want to send any questions or comments, send them to theboardgameworkshop at gmail.com. And follow the show on Twitter at the BG Workshop, and you can like us on Facebook at facebook.com/theboardgameworkshop. If you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at BlueCubeBGS. Thank you for listening. <laughs>